Well, hello, church. I'm so pleased that you're with us today as we worship together another week. I hope and pray that you're continuing to keep yourself safe during this time of virus. And we continue to pray for all of you and you continue to pray for us. We would greatly appreciate it. And so let's begin by asking God to bless this, this message. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this church. I thank you for our people. I thank you that you've given us the ability to come together and use technology, Father. And so I ask you now that the message that we speak today be your message inspired by the Holy Spirit to touch our hearts today. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, today, this is the fifth message in the series of following Jesus in today's world. Uh, and to this message will focus on the emotional and spiritual healing of our God. The emotional and spiritual healing of our God. This series has been designed to prepare you as a follower of Jesus of what you can expect in this world and what God expects from us. We have to understand what God looks to us to do and at the same time we look to God to see what he will do for us. And so today we're going to study the aspect of God in which he is concerned not just about our physical healing but about our emotional healing and spiritual healing. And it's, it's very insightful to me uh, because this is a, a terrific story about a great prophet of Israel, one of the greatest really, and about the time of depression that he went through. And, and it's insightful to me because it exposes things to me that I think we all will someday uh, experience. And so God wants us to learn from these things. And so we're speaking today about the great prophet Elijah. Uh, and, and so what we're going to see is that here's a guy who, as great a prophet as he was, as mightily used as he was by God uh, to advance the cause of God in Israel, yet there was a time when he suffered greatly emotionally uh, and spiritually, was in a major funk and significantly depressed. And so I want to focus for you in this message on how God treated that and what we can learn in terms of what God wants us to do when we go through similar times in our own life. And so this uh, lesson will focus on 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 14. So if you have your Bibles, that's what we're going to read. Now I want to set this up for you because this was a great time of stress in Israel. And the reason I say that was that Jezebel was queen and Jezebel was a pagan and Jezebel did not worship Jehovah. Jezebel brought in the prophet Baal, worship of Baal uh, and the prophets of Baal. And so this was a time of terrific paganism in Israel and they had fallen away from worshiping Jehovah. And there were more than 450 prophets of Baal who basically wound up having great significance in Israel at this time. And so now it came to a point where Elijah would come face to face with these 450 prophets of Baal. And so he challenged them. He challenged them effectively to reach out to their God, reach out and call their, their God and ask their God to come down and burn up their sacrifice. They would build two sacrifices on Mount Carmel. Uh, and next to each other. And in that point, he would ask them first to pray to their God and have God come down and 
strike their sacrifice, respond to their sacrifice. Well, they did. They spent hour after hour after hour to the point where they began cutting themselves and abusing themselves uh, for a number of hours. And of course, their God did not answer. And then Elijah prepared his altar. Uh, and when he prepared his sacrifice, he even built around it a moat, filled the moat with water and then prayed. And then all of a sudden, uh, you can imagine spectacularly, God responds, uh, lightning and fire come down from heaven to destroy the sacrifice and, and destroy all the water, eat up all the water, and all, all the people of Israel that are there are stunned. And then Elijah responds and tells the 450 uh, prophets of Baal, instructs that they should be killed, and they are wiped out. And so as a result of this, Jezebel is infuriated. She is absolutely infuriated because even before this time, uh, Elijah had indicated to, to Israel that God would put them under severe drought for a period of years because they had fallen away from God. And so three years had gone by. Three years had gone by without any rain. Uh, and so again, this was another significant aspect of the power of Elijah as he's being used by God. So now there's the backdrop. Uh, this is the backdrop to this. And now, Elijah now is going to hear about the response of Jezebel to this. And let's see how he responds. This is now 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. Now Ahab, that's the king, told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me. Be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like one of them. She didn't fool around. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a juniper tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant broken down your altar and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, 
but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel king over Aram, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and, and anoint Elisha, son of Saphath, to succeed you as prophet. What an amazing uh, series of things taking place here with Elijah. Uh, and I, I am struck by the fact that uh, after this tremendous set of victories that he had, uh, that he would be fearful and effectively become doubtful about God's presence in his life. And, and to me, it's very insightful because that often happens to us. We have been blessed by God, God uses us, he has protected us, and then suddenly something will happen, some setback will happen, and we will forget all the things that God had done for us, instead focus on the negative aspect and, and fail to believe in God and have doubt. And that's exactly what happened here. And so the fact is that even someone as great as Elijah, who was used so mightily as Elijah, still has that basic human instinct of doubt. And here he's asking God to take his life. It's extraordinary, kill me. I don't wanna go on. I don't really wanna go on any longer. I'm a failure. I'm just like my ancestors. He was terribly discouraged. Uh, he had remained faithful uh, in proclaiming the will of God. Uh, he had destroyed the 450 false prophets. He had shown the, the uh, exhibition of the power of God. In fact, he had prayed to end the drought and the drought had ended and the rain had come. And so in every possible way, God had vindicated the positions that Elijah had taken and, and he was in a victorious position. Yet, because Jezebel did not believe, refused to believe what he did and threatened his life, he was fearful and ran and hid. And when you study uh, how far he had run, he, he ran over 100 miles away. Uh, and we find him here effectively running into a cave uh, and, and looking to hide out from God. And so why does something like this happen? Well, one of the things that we understand is that we have physical limitations as human beings. There's only a certain amount of physical strength that we have. And so when we are confronted by great stress, times of great exertion, we are subject uh, to depression. And so here he had spent, the, the fact that he had confronted these prophets, the fact that he had put his life on the line and put his sacrifice next to the prophets of Baal was tremendously demanding for him and exerting of, of his physicality. And so there he was, and as a result of this, he had been spiritually depleted and emotionally washed out. Uh, and in this state, when we get to that kind of state, when we are emotionally downtrodden, uh, we will often say things we don't really mean. We will really make positions known that are really not part of our, 
our uh, understanding. And God knew this. You see, that's why, how God loves us. He knew that Elijah didn't want his life taken. He understood where he had come from. He understood that at the bottom line, Elijah was a godly person. And so God determined that he needed to be treated carefully and he needed to be healed emotionally. And so God understands our human nature. He loves us and he knows what is best for us. Uh, and, and so during these times of great emotional stress, when we become depressed, we may say things, even pray for things, and God will not answer them because God knows these are not consistent with our will when we are well. And so he takes all of our human nature into consideration uh, when he looks at our prayer life. Uh, and so here he refuses to grant the request of Elijah. Uh, he knew it was motivated by physical and emotional depression and exhaustion, and it was not a genuine desire to die. And so rather he gave Elijah what Elijah truly needed. He gave him food and rest and a time to consider what God had done for him. He directed him to Mount Horeb. Now, Mount Horeb was the Mount of God. It was considered the Mount of God because that's where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments and so he directed him there uh, and so it's it's very interesting to me because uh, what he did even before he went to Mount Horeb is that he let him sleep because he desperately needed rest and then he sent an angel to minister to him providing his physical needs meaning he gave him food and he gave him water and and what's interesting as I read this uh, uh, he woke up after he at the first time he had food and water and was directed to go back to sleep again. He woke up again and was given again another meal, served by an angel. How about God? Huh? How great is he that he, he takes care of us that way? You're out in the middle of the wilderness and yet God directs an angel to feed you because he knows that's what you need, that the, that the food will nurture your heart, will give you back physical strength and the water will raise your spirits and the rest the rest, and that's critical, the rest. So many of us don't understand the importance of rest, even in our spiritual walk with God. We run ourselves ragged, and yet God wants us to rest. Uh, and so this becomes an, an important part of the healing aspect of God. So God looked within the heart of Elijah and saw that the problem was not Jezebel, but rather it was Elijah, because Elijah was filled with doubt uh, and unbelief. And this is exactly how Satan operates. You know, we've been studying this. This is the nature of how he operates. He looks to see what your mind is focusing on. Uh, and when he sees that you have become doubtful, he works on that. And, and as he works on that, he will cause uh, depression. And that's exactly what happened here. And so what God saw was that Elijah was now walking by sight, not by faith, meaning what? Well, he saw that Jezebel was not convinced by these powerful acts of God, and so he crumbled. He didn't have faith that God, this was part of God's plan. And so he flees from Jezebel, which is exactly what Jezebel wanted, because she was fearful that he would preach a revival and Israel would come back to Jehovah uh, and, and uh, refuse to worship Baal. Um, and so instead of trusting God to take care of him, Elijah looks at the circumstances and runs in fear. He runs ahead of God, ahead of God, instead of waiting for the Lord to reveal his plan. And that's another mistake that we make. 
uh, as we put ourselves in times of depression. We don't wait for God. We think that God has forgotten us. And instead of waiting for God to act, we sometimes will move on ahead of God. And that's a terrible mistake. You don't ever want to move on ahead of God. You want to wait for God to, to let you know exactly what God wants in your life. And so God saw a heart filled uh, with doubt, impatience, pride, and self-pity. And you're probably saying, John, how can you say that about a guy as great as Elijah? Well, as great as Elijah was, he was still a human being. He was a man. He put his pants on one leg at a time. And so, yes, his pride was hurt. He had been used mightily by God. He gives this tremendous message, and he doesn't see the queen bowing in respect to God. And so, yes, his pride was hurt, uh, and he had self-pity and some doubt. And he then became impatient. Uh, because he thought that God would, would answer immediately. And you see, that's the other thing. We have a timetable as to what we think God ought to do, and that's not God's timetable. God has an entirely different timetable. And so God is expecting us to wait on him. Uh, and when we don't, we put ourselves in a position to get depressed and to have emotional harm come into our life. And so the prophet here seems to be more concerned uh, about his rep reputation than about his ministry. Uh, and so with, with self-pity controlling him, he decided to protect himself instead of doing the work of God. And, and this is amazing to me because he had just seen this powerful manifestation of the power of God, where his sacrifice is, is completely immolated and the water in the moat taken away and, and evaporated. And yet despite all this, and despite the fact that 450 prophets of Baal are destroyed, despite all of that, and despite the fact that a three-year drought is ended because he prays for it, despite all of that, uh, he runs in fear. He doesn't think that God hears him or that God is going to honor him. And, and so what happens here is he takes off and flees and tries to be by himself. Uh, and there's a message here also. We learn that when we are discouraged, we should never spend a lot of time alone. It merely breeds self-pity and depression. Elijah needed a change of heart, not an end to his life. And so God looked beyond the current state of Elijah. Uh, he had some very special things in store for Elijah, for his future. And if God allowed him to die, Elijah would never, never have experienced these wonderful things that God had planned for the rest of his life. And you know that one of those things would be that Elijah would be one of only two people in the history of the Bible who would never experience physical death. You know that Elijah, at the end of his life, instead of dying, uh, a chariot of fire would come down out of heaven and right in the presence of Elisha, take Elijah up and Elijah would, would basically be carried off in this chariot of fire into the heavens. Extraordinary. What a legacy that is, uh, that, that he would have that, that he wouldn't have to experience physical death. And so there were so many things, so many potential victories ahead that Elijah would be used by God. So God had a plan in store, even though Elijah at this point in time didn't see it and was depressed and needed to be uplifted. And so God looked ahead and told Elijah not to give up. And this is how we see how the Lord heals our emotional uh, and spiritual hurts. This is important, how God does it. First, first, what does he do? He refreshes him. 
He lets him rest. While he slept under this juniper tree, the Lord sends an angel to prepare a meal for him. I mean, it's amazing. The angel prepares the meal, and then he awakens him and feeds him and gives him water and then lets him go back to sleep. This twice, this happens. So twice he sleeps and twice he eats, and now he becomes physically refreshed and renewed. And this enabled him to have a more positive outlook on life. That's one of the things that we have to understand, that we need rest from time to time. We can't run ourselves ragged. Even if we're working for God, we have to take time off to rest because our bodies require it. Then God reminded Elijah of where he had been after he had been refreshed. He sent him to Mount Horeb on the mountain. And here the Lord appeared uh, to Elijah. And, and one of the things I love when he goes to Mount Horeb uh, and is waiting for God to speak to him, notice how God speaks to him. Uh, it says there first that there, that there was tremendous wind and it wasn't God. Then there, were, there was thunder and rocks were being broken uh, and, that, and that wasn't it. Uh, and, and so even in the, in, in, the, in the midst of all of what you would normally expect would be the manifestations of God, it's not, until finally in a still, small, whispering voice, God calls out to Elijah, Elijah, why are you here? Why are you here? Uh, and so what are you doing here? And that's when Elijah uh, complained that he was the only person left in Israel who was following the Lord. And I reflect on that and I wonder how many of us often feel the same way, that we're the only people left following the Lord. You know, you read the news, you open the newspapers, you listen, you listen to the news on television, and you come away shaking your head thinking, are we the only people serving God? How can our world uh, become so deteriorated? What's happened? And yet God said, reminded him, trust me, I have a plan in place. I have my people in place. There are over 7,000 followers of, of me in Israel who have not bowed their knee to Baal. You need to go back. You need to go back and lift these people up. You need to go back and preach and go back and follow your, your footsteps back to the way that you came. Go back in the same direction that you came back, meaning go back to the work that you have. Your work is not finished. And so God then recommissions Elijah. He sends him back into the battlefield uh, and he made him walk a 300 mile trip back from Mount Horeb to Beersheba and then to Jezreel back to where this all started. And the reason was that Elijah had wandered away from God's chosen path. And so God tells us at these times, once he touches us and restores us and, and heals us emotionally and spiritually, he wants us to retrace our steps, to get back to where God wanted him to be in order to serve him. And so here's the point. When, God, when it appears that God is not answering your prayers, when you're beginning to suffer depression, and a period of emotional downtime. You, you need to know that God knows your hearts. He absolutely knows your hearts, and he knows what you've been through, and he knows what lies ahead in your future. And so he knows what is best for you. So even as some of us are praying for things during these downtimes, these things that we're praying for are not within our best interests, and God knows it. And so we have to trust God to wait patiently for him, to wait for the, his will in our life, realizing that he may have something even better for you than what you want. And I think that's really the truth. 
And I've seen that in my own life, where I have a limited view of, of God's future for me. And what I've recognized is when I bow to him, that his, his view of my future was far grander, far greater than anything that I would have thought. And so there are significant lessons for us here uh, as modern followers of the Lord. One of the first symptoms of the disorder of depression is the exaggeration of problems. Uh, meaning as we get depressed, as we go through these downtimes, we have a tendency to exaggerate the nature of our condition, the nature of the problems we face. Uh, and that's what Elijah did. Uh, he, here he did, he, he was immediately afraid that, that he would be killed when in fact he saw the power of God uh, being exhibited. God would never allow his life to be taken, but he exaggerated that threat. Uh, and secondly, Elijah put himself down. And this is another problem that many of us have during these periods of depression. Uh, it's because we then begin to put our own selves down. I'm not strong enough. I'm not godly enough. I'm not walking uh, where God wants me to walk. I'm outside of his will. We put ourselves down. Uh, and, and as we put ourselves down, we're walking away from the will of God. We can't do that. Don't put yourself down. You're a child of God. God loves you. He cares for you. And so instead, ask for him to exhibit his will for you in your, in your life and wait patiently on him. And this is how we treat depression. Now, listen, I'm not saying that some people don't have a legitimate, legitimate need for pharmaceuticals for issues of depression. Of course they do. We understand that God gave science to us for that purpose. But what I'm saying is that there are underlying reasons as well uh, for those of us who serve God from and, and find ourselves in these positions from time to time. Third, we became isolated from people. And that's what Elijah did. You see, during this downtime, he flees. He goes away by himself. He's not with the people of God. He's not with people who can pray for him and uplift you. And I wanna say this to you. This is why it's critical to be a part of a church because when you go through these downtimes, we're there for you. The church people are there for you. These are your fellow believers, your brothers and sisters who will affirm you and lift you up and pray for you. That's the nature of what God has called us for as a church. Uh, and so this becomes important. This is a lesson for us as we see it. If this can happen to someone as great as Elijah, how much more is it responsible for us to consider this? Now, what were the reasons for this suffering? Well, uh, there were several reasons. First, there's vulnerability after victory. Uh, and this sounds unusual, but it's true. We are probably most vulnerable to these kind of things after God has given us some kind of great spiritual victory. When, when your ministry is blessed, when, when you see great things happening as a result of your faithfulness to God, watch out because that's when you become vulnerable to attack. Why does that happen? Because there's the natural tendency for our humanity to rise up. Oh, look at me, look at what I've done. Look at how I'm being used for God. And it's that natural humanity raising ourselves up that exposes us really to vulnerability for attack by Satan and then depression to take place. Secondly, a uh, second factor for Elijah was the factor of fatigue. He had, he had expended great physical exertion in battling the prophets of Baal. Uh, and so there is a close linkage between body, soul, and spirit. And so yes, 
the body suffers from physical fatigue. And as the body suffers from physical fatigue, so does the spirit. Don't kid yourself, it does. A third factor here was the disappointed expectations. You can imagine how he felt. Here he is having fire brought down, wiping out his sacrifice, taking the water around the moat, uh, and exposing the prophets of Baal as frauds to such an extent that they then wind up being wiped out. And Jezebel is unmoved. Uh, and so he was crushed. And so the lesson here is that God works on an entirely different pace than we do. We expected Jezebel to come immediately and bow herself immediately to God. Not so quickly. That's not within God's timetable. Uh, and so in this study, we also see uh, the Lord dealing with depression by recognizing that Elijah needed rest. Now notice that God does not rebuke him uh, or find fault with him, which I find so beautiful uh, in terms of understanding our God. Over and over again, you see him, and, you know, instead, if this were us and we were in that position, we would sit there and say, what kind of a loser are you after you saw what I did for you and you then run away and, and reject me? Instead, the Lord simply says, Elijah, in a still small voice, what are you doing? Here is some food. Go to sleep. Go to rest. Rest is critical. And we learn here that God views rest as critically important. Now, one of the things that I learned as I wrote this message was that the Sabbath, uh, during this period of time, the recognition of the Sabbath was not connected to worship. I did not know this. I thought that the Sabbath was always connected to worship. It's not true. The Sabbath only became connected with worship in the period of 400 years from the time of Malachi to the time that Jesus was born. How about that? That dark period when there were no other prophets. That's when the issue of the Sabbath got raised as a part of worship. Up until that point, Sabbath was not a part of worship. It was just a part of resting. Uh, and it was the uh, rabbis in the synagogue that elevated Sabbath to an element of worship, which in fact it was not. If you, ha if you have your Bible, if, just take a look at Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 58, uh, because you can see uh, the Lord speaking on this issue about the importance of rest. Isaiah 58, uh, verse 13. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. In other words, be smart, recognizing that I've given you a day of rest. Utilize that day of rest. Take time out from your busy lives and, and focus on God. Read scripture and be restful because you require rest. This ought to be emblazoned on our refrigerators because so many of us uh, find ourselves spending more time in what I will call recreational activities and knocking ourselves out instead of effectively uh, resting before God and reading the word of God and praying to God, giving God a time to help us heal. What an important message this is. 
understanding the significance of rest. And so God spoke to him in a still small voice. And so Elijah realized that God's ways were not his ways. Uh, and he began to move out of depression. And so when you realize that God is on the throne uh, and that nothing happens without his permission, you will then begin to pull yourself out of what I will call this down period. Uh, and so God also prescribed not only rest, uh, but the recognition of God's will because he, is, he specifically uh, ordered Elijah to go back. Go back, you have work to do. You have to anoint several kings. You have to anoint the re your replacement, Elijah. You can't sit here and rest on your laurels. And so he had work to do and God inspired him to do that work uh, and to start serving again. And so this becomes important for us also because what it means is that as we come out of our rest period, as, we, as, as God heals us and restores us, as he lifts us up, he does that because he expects us to go back and serve him, to work for him, to advance the kingdom of God. That's the other antidote for depression uh, and emotional healing. The fact that you begin to work again, as it says in Matthew 7, verse 2, whatever measure you give out will be given back again to you. Matthew 7, verse 2, that's what Jesus said. So as you dispense of yourself, as you give of yourself, God sees that whatever that you give, that and more will come back to you. And so we can either decide as followers of Christ in today's world, either to be a person hiding in a cave or a person serving God with effectiveness and power. Uh, and so that's the need, that's the lesson for you today to recognize this is the will of God in your life. Yes, you've seen some hard times, Yes, you may have been used by God in the past. Yes, you may have been surprised that your effectiveness was reduced. And yes, some of us are suffering from depression, from emotional pain. Uh, some of that pain has been inflicted on some of us, even in church. But here's the thing, God is with you. He wants to heal you and raise you up and continue to use you. Don't look at the pain. Don't look at where you came from. Instead, look at where you're going and recognize he has great things planned for all of you. He's got such marvelous plans for your lives, for what's ahead, and he intends to use you. And so it's important for you to pick yourself up, to rest yourself, um, to, to take care of your body, to take care of the physical needs, but at the same time, recognizing that everything that, that comes to you is within the will of God. He will never abandon you but he will be with you every step of your life. Let's close this message with prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Father, for the examples that you've given us in scripture. I thank you for this great prophet, Elijah, who served you in such a powerful way. And yet, Lord, we see his humanity. We see his failings and his warts. And that's inspiring for us, Lord, because we have those same failings and warts. And so as you healed him emotionally and spiritually, we recognize that you can do the same for us. And so, Father, we bow before your throne. We, we submit our lives to you in every way. We ask you to redress these issues in our lives when we suffer from depression, from emotional pain and suffering. We ask you, Father, to heal us in the same way that you healed Elijah and to get us back into the game, to get us back to serving you, to get us back to the call of our lives, to elevate Jesus Christ in every aspect of what we do. Father, we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you, church.
We love you.